Tonight we're going to talk about how to engage your family well. And some of you have family here, so that's exciting. Um, I, didn't, I didn't think about whether or not that would be awkward. We'll see. Um, but uh, so uh, one of the reasons we decided to do this this month is because the holidays are coming up. And so a lot of my mindset going into preparing this was thinking about how to engage your extended family, right? The family you, that doesn't live in the house with you for the most part and that you have to see maybe a handful of times a year. And sometimes that can be complicated, um, those relationships. Uh, before I worked in student ministry, I worked in campus ministry, and I saw that a lot with students that would go home from college. It was one of the most difficult times of the year, especially for their faith, especially as they were growing and changing. Uh, they had a lot of tough encounters with family members, and so it became something that I spent a lot of time talking about. Um, I've also had some interesting experiences with my extended family. Um, uh, the two people in my uh, immediate family growing up that I was closest to were my father and my oldest sister. Uh, uh, I became a believer right before I left for college, and they were the two relationships that became strained the most for me. Um, from that point on, they were very, very difficult for years. There were moments like uh, I, I don't think I'll get too into that tonight, but there were moments in both of those relationships where I remember saying to my wife, Jane, or even just saying to myself, I don't know if I can ever go talk to those people again. Um, and so now um, I would say we have very good relationships uh, with with both of our with all of our family. Um, and there are just some things I learned along the way, some mistakes I made, some things that I saw students uh, do or not do that helped them. And so those are some of the things I wanted uh, to share tonight. But then I also realized that a lot of times over the holidays, we spend a lot more time also with our immediate family and that how we engage them and engaging them well. Sometimes it's the people under your roof that you struggle to engage well. And so I thought I'd spend a little bit of time um, talking about that as well. So we're going to start um, just talking about your immediate family. Um, and I'm just going to run through uh, just, just some tips uh, for how to engage your immediate family well. Uh, that's you. That's your family. After, If you follow these three things, that will be you. That's all. You will live in black and white for the rest of your life. Um, I posted this video, if, if you and I are friends on Facebook, I posted this video about, like, from 1950 that was about, like, how to have a great dinner with your family. It's fantastic. I highly recommend that you go watch it. I showed it to my wife. Things changed immediately in our home right afterwards. Um, but what's that? After I went and picked up dinner, that was the 2015 version of how to have a good dinner at home. Go pick it up and bring it home. Um, but, uh, no, that's not what you're going to look like. But these are just things that... Um, that are just helpful, right? Like I work with young people and I watch them struggle to engage with their parents. I struggle to engage with my children at times. And um, these are some things along the way that I think are helpful and especially helpful uh, for those of us who are believers and want to engage our families um, with that, with our faith. Sometimes that can be a big struggle. The first thing, really quick, is just learn to ask good questions. That a lot of times, um, what we miss with our family, what we get with other people, is that we're generous in other conversations, and we're not often generous in conversations with our family. And, and the way that I've learned to be more generous in conversations with my family is that I just try to ask them good questions. Rather than try to tell them what to do or what we should do, I try to ask them good questions. Some people say that the essence of, of discipling or mentoring is, is asking good questions. It's just being able to, to listen to the Spirit, to ask good questions and, uh, of God, and to ask good questions of the people around you and to see 
um, what God is doing. Um, and so what does that look like to, to learn to ask good questions? Um, we started um, a few years ago with this around our table, around our kitchen table a few times a week um, when things weren't com- incredibly chaotic. And we would sit down. I would just ask three really basic questions of our kids. I would say, what was the best part of your day? What was the worst part of your day? And what did you learn today? Um, and the first two are a practice that's gone on uh, for years and centuries um, within the church as a way to help people evaluate things, what's the best and what's the worst. The last thing was something I heard on a sports radio talk show. So you can get them from anywhere. Um, but they're just, uh, they're just questions that don't have yes or no answers. Uh, they're questions that uh, can't often end with nothing or I don't know. Um, and so that was what we started with. Um, uh, you, the, the, the key really uh, to all of that, though, is it's changed over time. Um, and just a few things we try to do is that I don't ever ask, like when I'm talking about good questions, I don't ever ask yes or no questions unless I want a yes or no answer. Does that make sense? Right. Cause it cuts people off. Um, I, I, I always try to incorporate something with them where I say, if, if they're struggling through an answer where I say, well, what are two or three things? That that makes you think about. Give me a couple of things that that makes you think about. So if you say best or worst, your kid will say, well, I don't know what the best part of my day was. And you might say, well, tell me a couple of good things that you saw today. Or one thing we started asking was, where did you see something beautiful today? Like, where did you see something that you were like, that was incredible? Where did you see something that made you laugh out loud? The key is not the key with your family is not to get deterred by bad answers because they want to give you bad answers at first because they think you're trying to trick them. Right. They think you're trying to judge them with your questions. Whatever answer they give, you're going to tell them something wrong. You'll see this if you have middle schoolers and high schoolers or if you ever have middle schoolers and high schoolers, they think it's a trap. Right. Because they think they're just going to judge me with their answers. And so they give you bad answers. They give you answers that don't fall, that don't go anywhere. And so the key is to just not get deterred by bad answers. And another good key is model your answers, model the answers you want. So with my kids, I always go first. I always say, I always play, I always participate, I'm not above answering the questions that we sit around and ask each other, and I try to go first if they're struggling. I say, this is what I did, and it gives them a place to model after, and it helps them not necessarily feel like they've got to figure out the right answer. Does that make sense? So, um, two books that help with learning to ask good questions, and this is good for your immediate family, this is good for your extended family, this is just good for life. Um, As somebody who wants to encourage growth in other people's life and wants to learn more about them, one of those books is called A More Beautiful Question. It's by a guy named Warren Berger. Um, So A More Beautiful Question. Uh, And that's really about like the idea, just kind of a basic understanding of good versus bad questions. There's another book called Power Questions by a guy named Andrew Sobel. That's a little more uh, business oriented, but it's really about how do you build a series of questions that will help you understand something in a greater way, if that makes sense. And you can do that with your family. Like you want to understand what, what, are your, what is your son or your daughter dreaming about? What is your wife or your husband dreaming about? Those are the types of things that you can build towards with good questions. So that's, that's the first way, and I think the main way that I see that you can positively engage your family members as you spend more time with them. The second thing is this. It sounds pretty simple, but take a walk. Um, and it doesn't have to be a long walk. Right. Like I went on what was supposed to be a 15 minute hike with my kids a couple of weeks ago and it turned into about an hour hike and they were not happy about that at all. I got us lost. That was not a good walk. Um, but but a short walk with your family. One thing that I've learned about people is that 
while sitting across the table, they may struggle to talk. If you can get people moving, something happens, right? Like if you can just get people moving, you start discussing things. Just if you can take a five or ten minute walk with your family. I know that we're all pressed for time. But if you can just find that time, especially over the holidays, to just – and they're going to – if you have kids, they're going to complain and they don't ever want to do anything. And you just got to kind of push through and say, like, we're just going to get out there for 10 minutes and then you can come back. And then while you're out there, it's interesting um, to see what happens. Movement helps communication. Um, and then the last thing um, specifically related to the holidays is to think of two to three. Do you see what I did there? Two to three small ways to engage the deeper meaning of each holiday. I think a lot of times we feel like as Christians, there's this heavy pressure to like turn everything into a church service or a Bible study or whatever. And a lot of times, like, life just doesn't unfold perfectly in those ways. But if you're looking at the holidays, if you're looking at Thanksgiving, you're looking at Christmas, and you can just find two to three small ways to engage the deeper meaning um, with your family. And if you are married and you're trying to engage the rest of your family, ask your spouse, talk with your spouse about what they think that you should do and what you think that you should do because you both see different angles in that and and plan early for things like that and give it a shot. And again, don't be discouraged if something doesn't work. If it's not working, you don't have to push through. You can if you want to. The point is you're you're doing positive things. And, and what I most often find with students and what I most often find with kids is that it's not the great, grand, huge things that their parents do, but it's the consistent, small, positive things um, that really stick with them. Like we started years ago. For us, one of the things we did was we made a cake uh, for Jesus on uh, Christmas Day. And we stole that from somebody and it was a great idea. And so we did that uh, for a while. And the other thing we did was we decided we, since it was Jesus's birthday, he should get stuff. And so we all give three things away um, on Christmas. And those are just some, and they're just small things like we take them somewhere and we donate them somewhere. And they're small, um, but they're the things we do. And so think of two to three small ways to engage the deeper meaning of each holiday. Um, so that's some stuff about your immediate family. Now, we're going to look at uh, what it means to kind of to, to engage your extended family well over the holidays. And so I don't know what you encounter over Thanksgiving and Christmas. I don't know if you're on the left, if you're Norman Rockwell and that crew. And then on the right, that was taken on a website. The, the title of the article on the website was a Thanksgiving stuffed full of lies. So I don't know. That, that guy looks sad and discouraged. I don't, somebody, I was talking to somebody this morning. They said, that's an intervention. That's not Thanksgiving. I don't know. Maybe it is. But maybe your Thanksgiving feels like an intervention or you wish it was an intervention. I don't know. But um, the way we engage over the holidays, some of us look forward to it with the anticipation. Some of us look, some of us look at it with dread. Right. There's all these things um, that can happen when you start to engage your family members, particularly those that don't see you throughout the year and that you don't see throughout the year and that you don't have to learn how to relate to. And so those relationships continue to struggle. Um, and so what we're going to do tonight is we're just going to look at a passage in the scripture um, of, a, of a big event where Jesus and his family struggled and um, and then see what we can learn from that. All right. So this is from um, Luke chapter two. We read this earlier this year, and it just tells the story, again, of Jesus and his family going to a big family and friends event and um, some struggles that happened through that event. It says, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. 
Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Did we get over to the last part? Was there another? There it goes. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. All right. So I want you to imagine two scenarios. We're going to play back and forth here for a minute. Okay. So one thing about students is that they don't want me to just talk. They like to engage. So we're going to engage. All right. So I want you to imagine a scenario. Kim, will you flip the next slide? All right. I want you to imagine you hear, just take that first part first. Imagine you hear about a 12 year old child who's missing. Maybe you get like one of those Amber alerts. Maybe it's on the news. Maybe somebody just tells you, oh, there's a kid in our city who's missing. This happens all the time. So what do you feel when you read about that? This is just some kid. It's not a kid you know. You just hear that a kid's missing. What are some of the things? What are some of the feelings you have? Like, you don't, what? Okay, so so you're afraid. What else? What? Sad. Okay. Anybody else? Not about cover it. Yeah. So then you hear that they have been found. And so this has happened, right? Like this has happened in your world. So how do you feel when you hear a kid's been found? Yeah. And that's pretty much it, right? Like, so if you read about a kid was lost and then they were found, you're just like, oh, no, they're lost. Oh, they're found. That's good. And then you go, then you go on worrying about like what you're going to shop for at the grocery store or whatever. You kind of just go on with your life and you don't spend, probably most of us don't spend a ton of time talking about it. Now, imagine the second scenario. All right. You're attending the Taste of Marietta with a large group of family and friends. And you guys have all walked together from somebody's house. You've walked from like David Eldridge's house because that's what he does. He travels in large packs of family and friends. And you're all, you've all walked from his house. You live about a mile and a half from the square, roughly. Yeah. So you've walked that mile and a half together. Everybody's kind of trailing around. Kids are walking together. Adults are walking together. Everybody's just sort of cruising along. And you get to the square and you have a 12 year old child. It's your kid. They're traveling with you, guy or girl. You insert here, whatever gives you the vision. They're traveling with you and you all hang out on the square. You have a great time. You taste all the food. You do everything. Um, there is to be done. And then at the end of the day, you head home with these 30 or 40 other people. And like all the kids are up here, all the adults are up here. And you saw your kid with the kids. And you just sort of assume that your child is with, with, the, rest, with the rest of the kids, right? And so everybody's walking. You get home and everybody kind of starts to disperse to their areas. And you realize that your kid is no longer there. And you look around and you go to the other families and you ask the other kids and nobody saw him and nobody saw her and she wasn't there when you were walking. And now you're like, oh, no, where's my kid? And you're looking and you're retracing your steps and you're walking back up to the square and you're moving quicker and quicker as you don't see your kid along the way. And you're stopping and you're asking people and boom, 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 boom. And you rush back to the square and you're going through every place you went. We went over here. Were they over here? Were they here? You're asking people and you finally find your child in that little outdoor area, that little patio area behind cool beans, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like they're hanging out and they're talking with a bunch of strangers, right? And when you reprimand your kid, when you say, what were you, where were you, right? Like all the things that you would say, why didn't you keep up with everybody? Why did you walk away? Their answer is, I'm right where God said I'm supposed to be. And that's all they say. So tell me some of the things you would feel 
in that situation. You can take them from start to finish. What are some of the feelings you would feel from the moment you realize they were missing? Panic. What else? Guilt. What else? Anger. Yeah, what else? Worry. Yeah, anything else? You're moving away. <laughs> what, what did you say? Shame or embarrassment. Yeah, shame or embarrassment. You're like, I lost my kid, right? <laughs> like, you're like, and then you see them, and like, so for me, like, I would feel all those things, and then when, if they said that, I would be burning, right? Like, I mean, if they're like, well, I'm just where God told me to be, I was like, you, I'd be like, you, pastor's kid, right? Like, I would be like, what, you think you can just get away with it because you said you're where God suppo- said you're supposed to be? Like, that's ridiculous. God says you're supposed to be with me. Right? You're supposed to listen to me. You're not supposed to be with these weird people. It cool means right? Whatever. Like all those things, things that I would never admit that I would think would all come out of my head. Right? Like in it out of my mouth. And, and here's the thing. Here's why those scenarios are different. It's because family makes us respond more emotionally. Right? It does. That's where things get squirrely. Right? Both of those scenarios were essentially the same thing. It's just one of them was really personal. And that's what happens a lot of times with extended family is like we walk in and we think we're like this person and then our emotions get involved. Right. And it just totally messes with us. This is one of the things that I've actually been able to see um, as a student ministry pastor is I tell parents this all the time. Whenever I talk to a parent when they're concerned about their about their student, one of the things I always talk to them about is, is, is subjectivity and objectivity. And I said, you view your child with subjectivity. And there's real positives. When subjectivity is working in in your spirit, when it's obedient to the Lord, there are such positives to subjectivity. That means you champion your kid. That means you care more about whether or not your kid is taken care of and whether or not they're getting the best of health care and whether or not they're getting the best of food and whether they're not getting the best of educational opportunities. You care more about that when it comes to your kid than I do. And I care more about it when it comes to my kid than you do. There's that positive of subjectivity, but there's also a positive of objectivity. And that usually comes about when things start to go south, right? When things start to get negative, when emotions and relationships start to get strained. And that's when I have to step in and talk to a parent and say, like, it's not as bad as it feels, right? There's this objectivity that allows you to approach a situation. See, what happens when our emotions start to mix together because of family is that it can, be ca- it can cause us to become selfish and self-focused. Does that make sense? Like, I go into encounters with my family, whether it's my immediate or my extended family, thinking, like, I want the best for everybody. But as soon as something goes left, right? That's left. Um, as soon as something goes left, like, all that emotion makes me look at me, especially with family. What are you going to do for me? How are you going to help me? How did you offend me? Right. Sometimes it's because of shame. Right. And embarrassment. And so I have to feel like I have to protect me because I'm ashamed that I'm embarrassed. Sometimes it's because I don't feel like they gave me what they were supposed to give me or whatever. But it all starts to turn in. And 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 that's where we start to lose positive engagement with family. It's not that we don't know the right things to do or the right things to say. If I were to tell every single one of you that you should you should love your family like Jesus loves you. This Thanksgiving and Christmas, you wouldn't be like, that's phenomenal. I never thought he wanted me to do that. Right. It's that what happens is that that emotion gets into us and it causes us to do certain things 
that cause us to engage poorly. And so I just want to give you guys really quick um, just three tips uh, for engaging your extended family over the holidays. Uh, the first is don't assume things going in. Bad assumptions can lead to confusion and they can lead to you losing relationship. What I mean is that the biggest problem in the beginning with Mary and Joseph is they assumed Jesus was somewhere that he wasn't. Does that make sense? And if if they had not done that, the story would have been radically different. They assumed and, and that created all this tension and anxiety for them. And then when they got with him, it created this like, what are you doing to us? Right? Like all of that, like sort of negative emotion directed towards Jesus, even in that moment, it all started with a bad assumption. And what happens when we engage our family, especially those that we don't see on a regular basis, we tend to assume things about them. We tend to assume they're going to react to us in a certain way. We tend to assume they're going to think a certain thing. We tend to assume they're going to act in a way that makes sense in the world that we live in. And when they don't, that's where things start to go south, usually emotionally. Does that make sense? Like that's where when they don't meet our assumptions, we get lost all of a sudden in the relationship. And so the first thing is to to avoid assuming about your family as you walk in. Like if you want to know who and what and why and where from your family, go back to that thing. Ask good questions. Ask good questions. Don't go assuming that you know how the encounter is going to be with your family members this year, right? Sometimes that makes us go in like this, right? Because we're ready. Even though we act like we're not ready, we got the punch back here because we know that's what I saw college students do all the time. No, I love them. I love them. And they were just waiting, right, for their parent to say something wrong. And, And that happens a lot of times. Don't make bad assumptions and really don't assume anything. Try to get to know where your family members are at. Second thing is this. Uh, don't respond to frustration until you can treasure it, Robin, like you said. How about, how frustrating, first off, how frustrating would it be like living in a world where your child was chosen to save the world, right? Like, especially when they said things that made you be like, oh, like, like how frustrating would that moment be when they're like, where were you? And he was like, I was in my father's house. And you're like, oh man, that's a good one. And I can't, like, what am I going to do? I almost lost you. I almost lost God's son, right? Like, and, and sometimes family says things, and it's because they're family that it frustrates you. Or they just say something because they said something stupid. Right? Like, I mean, like, the truth is the truth. But what Mary did, what I love about Mary is that at least we don't hear anything. Maybe she responded in ways that the Bible's not supposed to talk about. I don't know. But we don't hear anything about her response. What we hear is Mary treasured these things in her heart. And it's like she treasured, she learned how to treasure the experience of losing, misplacing her son for three days. She learned how to treasure his response. And I was thinking about this as I was reading over this and praying for us tonight. And it's the idea of can we treasure even the frustrating things that our family says to us in our hearts? And if we can do that, we'll engage well. Does that make sense? And and here's the thing. It's not an emotional thing. Don't get it. Like that. Don't get like, oh, I need to feel really, really good about every terrible thing they say about me. No, it, it more involves just just the discipline, the spiritual discipline of waiting. 
You know what I mean? It, 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 it doesn't involve having to learn how to do some great emotion. It involves being willing to not just say the next thing that you want to say to verbally punch them in the face. Right? It involves just saying, I'm not ready to answer this if I'm frustrated. I'm not ready. Probably the hardest thing you can do with your family when they're coming after you on something is be quiet. Because you feel like I'm losing I look stupid. They think they're right. Whatever it is. But if we could learn to begin to say, God, what are you doing? What are you doing in this moment? Because I know the frustration coming out of me isn't what you're doing. It might be the frustration in me might be working with what you're doing. But the frustration coming out of me isn't what you're doing. So, God, how do I treasure this moment? How do I make it valuable instead of just make it a fight? So that's the second thing. And then the third thing is related to that. And that's let God and not your past evaluate you and them. I think part of the struggle for Mary and Joseph, and you see this tension with Jesus and his family a few times, is that our family struggles to see us as different than we used to be. Usually growth is not often seen by your extended family because they don't see you every day. Does that make sense? And so they only get these snapshots of you, and they think you're still 12 at the kids' table, right? Or they think you're still the, the parent you were, or the aunt, or the uncle you were, or the screw-up you were, or the whatever, math nerd you were. I don't know. They just don't see how God is developing you. And what you can do is you can let their evaluation determine how you behave. And what you want is to let God's evaluation determine how you behave. That's what Jesus did. Right? Like Jesus didn't say, oh gosh, I'm so sorry. And he also didn't say, whatever, you guys left me. Right? He didn't say either of those things. He just said, I'm in my father's house and I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And he didn't do it to be arrogant. He didn't do it to be flippant or to like slam his parents in front of all the Pharisees, right? And be like, yeah. Like he, he did it because he let God evaluate who he was more than his family. We're going to read another passage in a second, and you'll see that. And so that's one thing, is that we have to decide if we're going to engage our family well, immediate or extended, that we know and care most about how God sees us. And that's the hardest thing. I think that's the hardest thing because it takes so much preparation in your heart and your soul. Being able to treasure things in your heart will help that, because if you're not ready, it'll keep you from saying something that's reactionary. But I think the hardest thing is it takes time to cultivate a personality that says, God, I care most I want to know most how you evaluate me. The flip side of that is this. Let God evaluate your family members for you rather than your previous experience because we do it too. We do it too. We are not exempt from boxing our family members into who they used to be. And we need to spend time asking God, if we want to engage our extended family well, before we go into the holidays, we need to spend time asking God to show us what he's doing in their lives and where he's working. And we need to celebrate those things with them. So last thing, last thing I'm going to say, and then we'll do the uh, questions is there's this passage. Um, I really wanted to share this because I think it, it wraps up. Um, there's this passage uh, later on. It's not in Luke two. Uh, I, I said Luke two, but that's not what it is. I think it's Mark three. Maybe that is what this one's from, uh, but it's obviously Jesus is a kid. He's grown. Um, but I think this is Mark three and um, Jesus's family, Jesus has grown up and he's teaching and crowds are gathering and his family's kind of freaking out. And they think he's lost his mind. 
right? I know this experience. Like after I became a Christian, there were times when my family worried about my sanity. Uh, maybe rightly, I don't know, but there were times when they were seriously concerned. Uh, and so this passage became really precious to me as Jesus thinks his, his, his family thinks they've lost his mind. So they decide to go get him and take him home, right? Because he's doing crazy stuff. And they come and they show up and it picks up here and it says a crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. And, and Jesus has this awareness of what's going on. It's obviously he's either heard it or God's giving him some divine insight in that moment to what's happening with his family. But he doesn't just say, yeah, bring them on in, which was what you should do culturally if your family walks that far and, dry, and travels that far to come see you. Instead, he says, who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. Um, This is one of my favorite passages in all the scripture. And as I was praying about this week, one of the things um, that I noticed in this passage is that Jesus could have gone a lot of ways with this. He could have invited his family in and tried tried to persuade them. He could have cut himself off from his family completely. Right, But he doesn't do that because later on we see that his mom's with him. We see that his, that his, that his brother James is somehow engaged. Right, So he doesn't cut off his family completely. He doesn't do either of those things. Instead, what Jesus does is this. He realizes that his family can't meet all his emotional and relational needs. And he decides, I'm okay with that. He, he lets God provide in other ways. I think that's the hardest thing with our family. Is that more than, at least for me it is, more than I want to admit, I want my family to answer all the questions I have about myself in a positive way. I want them to provide for all the emotional and relational needs I have. Whether that's my immediate family and so my kids are struggling and it makes me feel all those weird things. Or it's my extended family and I, and I feel like I need their respect or their approval or whatever. And if I get it or if I don't get it, I'm either going to try to persuade them or I'm going to cut myself off from them. And Jesus doesn't do either. Instead, he says, God provides for what I need when it comes to family. And so sometimes they're just not going to get it. And I'm not going to chase after it. And I'm not going to run away from it. I'm going to recognize that God is my father. He provides my family. And I think that if we can walk in not asking our families to provide for a need that God is supposed to provide for, we will always engage them better. Does that make sense? Whether that's coming home from work or whether that's going to Thanksgiving dinner. So that's all I got. Um, We've got some questions. There's one activity-related question that I really want you guys to do. It's the last one. Um, It says, take two index cards from the middle of the table. There should be enough for everybody to take two. Um, and then write down one thing that you'll try to incorporate over the next month to engage your family well. Whatever you want to grab onto. This is something that I'll try to practice doing. Even if it's just, I'm going to pray about this thing. Um, write, write the same thing on each of the cards. So don't write two different ones. Write the same thing on each card. And then keep one for yourself and leave the second one on the table so I can pray for you um, about that over the next month or so.